Welcome to this episode of Roxy and Queens. This episode features Jane Bees, Head of Music at Camden Roundhouse. Without further ado, here she is. Yeah, my name's Jane Bees and I'm the Head of Music at the Roundhouse. Marvellous. So, what does the Head of Music actually do? Ah, that's, yes, that's the, the great secret. Um, well, the music team does a number of things at the Roundhouse. So we operate in both the commercial gig sphere, but we also... Uh, look after all the music projects that we run for young people in the studios so it's really quite a broad remit uh, across the team and obviously there are members of the team that have uh, quite specialist roles in that Um, so one thing that we do is we look after over 100 dates in the main space and we look after the diary for that and we uh, as requests come in from various artists and promoters uh, we sort of get into a game of Tetris about how we accommodate all of all of the uh, requests that we get to come and play in the main space uh, on the other side of the team we also uh, look after all the music projects for 11 to 25 year olds in the studios and we uh, oversee the resident artist program in music and then I think in the middle of all of that we also do some of our own programming so we run a festival called Rising Festival uh, which in 2019 we're going to move it from its regular slot at the beginning of the year into the autumn um, and that's going to be celebrating 10 years of rising so that's quite exciting and we also program a series called In the Round which happens end of January beginning of February. Very cool also a massively busy schedule by the sounds of things. There's very rarely any downtime if there's downtime in one part of the team it's often not downtime in the other part of the team so yeah it's, it's quite it's quite hectic. Yeah, all systems go. I saw that uh, Mike Schneider's playing here, so I'm excited yeah, about that. that's exciting. There's some really exciting stuff coming in for next year, actually. And again, you know, also there's always a bunch of artists that we can't quite accommodate because the dates don't work or, you know, obviously we also have a really big performing arts programme at the Roundhouse and we need to fit in our regular festivals that happen in other genres of work, like live, like Last Word, um, and the circus program and yeah so there's, there's quite a lot to juggle. I don't know if you always intended to have this position like at the start of your career but if so what kind of steps did you make t- to get where you are? I don't think I really had a clue as to what job I wanted. I, I sort of had a sense that I really liked bands and I really wanted to work in the music business but I think at the age of 16, 18, 20, I I still really didn't understand what that meant or what it could be or what it could look like. Um, So it wasn't, I wasn't very focused in that respect. I just sort of knew I wanted to be in London and I knew I wanted to see as much live music as I possibly could and that I'd be very keen to work in it. But I don't think I was very aware of what the different jobs were or, or how I would even get into it. I did an academic degree in history and government so I you know I mean we're talking about quite a long time ago there were probably one or two but there were not courses or uh, degrees that you did at university in music unless you were actually a musician so there wasn't you know there's a more of a proliferation now of music business management courses and um, but that didn't really exist when I was a teenager. 
if it had, do you think you would have actually done that? Or do you think, no, you'd have stuck with the degree you went for? I think it was an interesting time. And I think when I was 16, one of the things that I wanted to be was a textile designer. And I went to sixth form to do uh, a variety of subjects, which included art. And I don't think I really got on with the teacher very well. So I decided to drop the art bit and sort of focus on the history and the politics. I was enjoying politics um, A-level at that time. And I think there was a real sense that um, I needed to do a sort of serious, and I'm say, I'll say that with inverted commas, serious degree in order to get, in order to progress my career, whatever that might be. And somehow taking an arts course didn't feel um, encouraged or supported, I think, culturally in this country we've never really put enough emphasis on focusing on on creativity and saying you know you can actually make a living out of this Um, and I think that's something that's actually getting worse now as consecutive governments seem to be taking art music any creativity out of school curriculums it's it's um it feels like a recurring theme um, so, yeah, so I plumped to do an academic degree. I kind of see what you're saying, to be honest, with the whole, like, people feel a pressure to do really academic subjects and mm. the feedback from somebody who wants to get into the creative industries mm. is there isn't a lot of money in it. Mm. So you feel like a drive not to... Mm. Or maybe people... I don't know if they're trying to put you off or what, but... I think that there's a truth in that, which is that if that you generally want to work in the arts you're probably not the sort of person that is financially driven in that way. You know, if you know that you want... I mean, I went to university with some people who were more in the sort of economics, accounting, finance line, who not only sort of had a vision of where they would be in a, in a job in three or four years' time, but, you know, what car they would own and what their salary would be. Um, I think if you want to live a structured life in that way or a more... Yeah, I think structured is the word, um, then you're probably not of the arts mentality or uh, I'm going to get into trouble for saying that. I don't know. Um, But I think some people are very, you know, some people do degrees because they specifically absolutely need those qualifications. There's no way that you're going to go on to be a doctor or a lawyer if you don't have that degree. I think nowadays with the cost of degrees and the amount of debt that you're going to find yourself in, whether it's... um, valuable to spend your time doing a marketing degree for three years or doing a music business management degree for three years or whether there's a way of mixing it up so that you can take some of those courses in more of a part-time way and mix it up with some proper on the ground you know trying to get um, a traineeship in an organization or, or or even just trying to work in an arts venue in one of the kind of entry-level ways that you can do, whether that be working in the bar or working as part of the front of house team or even, you know, the roundhouse working as a volunteer. I think there's a way of sort of juggling a sort of a- academic study. And, of course, you know, I, I, I'm going to really show my age here by saying I was brought up in an age where we didn't have the internet. So, you know, it's it's sort of, in many ways, so I was talking at something the other day and we were talking about how all of the years of networking and working in the music business and the people that you get to know, you, there's quite a speedy way to to sort of fast-track that now because, for example, if you wanted to go and work at 
a booking agency, you, you could arm yourself with the knowledge of if you if you took your tw- favorite twenty artists, you could find out exactly who their booking agents were, who their managers are. There's there's a whole sort of network of knowledge that you can you can build up for yourself without even having set foot in the music business. That's so true. Because I think knowledge is everything. And we're all in a position where, you know, again, you can, it's about listening to all the music. It's about finding out who all the contacts are for all those people and just trying to make the connections between, oh, they're managing them, or they've managed this artist for 15 years and now they've, I see that that, uh, that management company is also picking up these younger artists. And it's it's interesting to see what people are doing in terms of the ethos of their companies and the artists that they're supporting. What's been your favourite event to organise recently? Well, I'm very lucky that I work with a big team of people. And I think that's not just the music team, it's also the whole of the Roundhouse team. When I thought you might ask me this question, I had to have a little think back over the last six months. Because there's so much going on, It's it's... It's difficult to pick one thing, but I think if we were talking about specific events, um, I've just finished programming uh, with a wider sort of uh, group of people are in the round series, so that's really exciting. So we've got 10 shows at the end of January in 2019, and we're just starting to work on which Roundhouse resident artists will join the bills because we always have a slot on on that series for for resident. Um, We've had a lot of great shows in the main space. It was really a great honour for the Roundhouse to host five nights of the Pixies celebrating uh, 30 years of their seminal first EP and first album, um, Come On Pilgrim and Surfer Rosa. So that was that was really an exciting moment. But then equally we've had some really incredible events down in the smaller space. Um, we've worked with Music Venues Trust uh, on a on a on a um, um, a project that they were doing which was to encourage uh, young women to promote gigs and I think they managed to find over 140 in the end to do shows all around the country and we worked with um, a really brilliant young woman called McKinley Ingram um, her company is the F Word and we had a brilliant night um, down in the down in the smaller space. Yeah, I think I saw some posters up about that, and I really wish I'd been to that event. Yeah, no, it was really good. I think we'll, um, I think we'll watch this space. We'll definitely, there's definitely more conversations to be had with McKinley for her to um, promote other stuff with us. I think. I think the other highlight for us recently was we did one of our music industry insight days, which is for it's kind of open to anyone in our program and to our resident artists, and it's a day of panel talks and discussions and um, just bringing a lot of different contacts that we have in the music industry in to talk about you know what's on everybody's mind how do you make money as an artist these days how do you get into the music business what's the right job for you how do you find out what the jobs are Um, talking about well-being working in the creative industries I think that's not just for artists it's for anybody who you know has the long hours and and the the sometimes the stress of the job as well yeah it's quite high pressure sometimes yeah and I think we're not you know most people that work in music realize that they didn't sign up for a nine-to-five job and it's not 40 hours a week and if you want to be making the most of living in London you can within financial restraints you can be out watching music pretty much every night of the week Uh, there are a lot of free gigs on all the time so if you're really dedicated to the cause you're it's not just the office hours that you're that you're spending. 
you're either listening to music or you're looking at live stuff or you're researching your next project or you're coming up with ideas for artists that you might want to put together in a collaboration or you're listening to the new artists that are coming through there's you you it never really stops so neither neither do you but i think the importance of um talking about well-being and being mentally and physically healthy whilst whilst you're in this industry is is really important i don't think it's a conversation that's going to go away anytime soon i was actually going to go back to your career kind of yeah. trajectory so you were originally a booking assistant mm-hmm. for a company mm-hmm. and then you'd probably explain it best yourself mm. how you got there and then you started working at South Bank. Yeah. Um, did you yeah. think that there was, I don't know if it was a gradual change or if it was quite a radical jump in job roles? It, it was quite, it was quite a different role because it went from kind of doing everything up until the day before the gig and then the job that I went into was as an event manager at the South Bank and that meant running the show on the day of as well and actually I really liked that I really loved that I loved um, running around with a radio pretending I was in charge it was just there was a frustration about being a booking agent's assistant and not actually being involved in the show that you'd had so much involvement in in the lead up time and so to actually be running the thing on the night was for me just really exciting I love I love working in live events I love the curveballs I love the random requests I love the challenges the problems the trying to I mean working in an organization like the South Bank just trying to make sure that all the stakeholders from you know the audience to the technical team to the front of house team that everybody's singing from the same hymn sheet and everybody is everybody knows all the information they need to know I just I really really just enjoyed that sort of running around, being on the ground, being very involved to the, you know, to the moment where the band goes on stage and then the moment where the band leaves the building at the, at the end of the night. I loved all of that. I loved all the logistics of putting really big events like Meltdown together. Um, so it was, it was very different and it was a very different environment. And the South Bank Centre is an incredible place because it, it's not, it, most people would not, recognize it primarily as a as a non-classical music venue but it does incredible things in its different spaces and it's it's a really wonderful place it's also quite um it, it's also can be quite a challenging place to work because there are so many different art forms competing for space time and money and so it can be quite internally political as well but it was a brilliant brilliant place to work and I really really enjoyed my time there and my job changed while whilst I was there I, I sort of um, got promoted from being an event manager to being a programmer which again was another sort of change I'd been doing a little bit of it in my previous role but really to take that on uh, was really just a great fantastic time for me um, and then to take on overseeing Meltdown Festival for five years was really uh, a fantastic period as well. So, yes, I really loved all of that. And then I think I just got the bug for being in live music. And then the job at the Roundhouse came up and 
I sort of uh, jumped at the chance of uh, applying for it and going to my second interview here and getting the tube back to Waterloo because I had to go back to work at the South Bank. And by the time I got off the tube, I had a phone call from my line manager, at the, well, my the person that had in- interviewed me was a really wonderful woman called Nicola Thorold, who was the executive producer here at the time. And there was a voicemail message from her saying, it's Nicola, can you call me back on this number? And so I remember standing on the steps of Waterloo Station, phoning her back, and it was, it was a Tuesday. It was a Tuesday, and, <laughs> but it was busy. It was like rush hour, yeah. and I'm phoning her back, and she said, oh, we'd like to offer you the job. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'd definitely like to take that job. That would be brilliant. And uh, then I think we both realised we hadn't even discussed money or any <laughs> any of the, you know, practical things. Um, but, yeah, I was really excited. And for me, the just the breadth of what the roundhouse does and the fact that we built the studios when we reopened and we uh, continue to invest in them and the number of young people we work with continues to grow for me is is the really inspiring bit of 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 being here now they do a lot of work with young people at the south bank center what what the roundhouse has is a i would say a bigger physical facility to um i think a lot of arts organisations are doing really, really good work, um, mm. which is maybe supplementing, um, augmenting, helping what's happening in schools. I don't think we should be... I don't think we exist to replace what happens in schools, but I think we... Yeah, I think we... I think at the Roundhouse we, we occupy a slightly different territory, which is, you know, it's, we should be a safe space where young people can come, where actually maybe part of the... Part of the attraction of being here is that it's the antithesis of school in that it doesn't have that framework and that structure and, you know, if you haven't done this by this point, you're sort of failing somehow. I guess uh, something like the Roundhouse Studios gives anybody who's working in here a different time frame. You can work on your own time frame um, rather than have to be working to to a sort of... You know that the next bit of the plan, or some of the next bit of the plan, is that we create. Um, we so we have planning permission, but we haven't raised all the money yet for some new studios. And the idea for part of that is that it will be a place for young creatives and young entrepreneurs. But we're actually going to extend the age limit at that point, so it will be for eighteen to thirty-year-olds. Yay. <laughs> Thank goodness. It's not going to be for a few years, but it's coming. Uh, it's coming. Hopefully coming. I'll still be like yeah. within the bracket when yeah. it when it's all done and yeah. stuff. Upon reflection, what were your feelings on your career starting out? Um, I, I think I wasn't very focused and I think I've always worked hard and I think I'm, I, yeah, I think I, I should have, I maybe should have been a bit more ambitious in terms of sort of knowing where I wanted to be next. But it has, you know, it's progressed. I was, I started as a, started, my first job was a receptionist answering the phone and then I became an assistant. And then I sort of stuck in that role for 10 years. And I, you know, I'll partly say it's because there was a glass ceiling. Um, I would, if I was being really honest, I was probably really enjoying myself doing that job as well and, and had a great support group of, you know, other women that were doing the same thing around me, Some, many of whom are still really my best friends today. So it's it's kind of amazing. And then I think when I went to the South Bank, I 
also fell in with a really supportive group of people and, and people that I really like working with. Um, again, many of whom are, are still friends. So I think I've been really lucky in terms of even if you work for an organisation where you don't have a contract and there isn't really uh, a process for developing you as a professional, then you know there are still other elements of it that you can enjoy. And to a certain extent, you're personally responsible for your own development as much as your employer is as well. I mean, I think it's great when you can find an employer who is interested in that, but some of them aren't. So again it goes back to being aware that that's the situation you find yourself in I was talking to somebody the other day who's uh their challenge to themselves is do I work for a big organization with all of the support that that comes with and all of the facilities or do I go for a smaller organization where I might be able to affect change a little bit more and I don't know what the solution to that is apart from just I suppose the only thing I really think about work is it, it's everybody's individual responsibility to get out of bed and go to work in the morning. And if you're not happy, go and find something else, do something else, um, because there's always a choice. I think there's always a choice. Mm, that's some good advice, I think. When we met up last week, we kind of you gave me a good background as to how you basically ended up in London. Mm. Um, and stuff like that and you mentioned that you maybe it was in hindsight you mm. experienced some like gender discrimination but I don't know if that was hindsight or if you actually were aware that you were experiencing it at the time I think I got my first job in the music business it was working in well, I worked in three booking agencies and f- pretty much for the period of my 20s which on the one hand you could say was enormously exciting, good fun, felt like I was learning a lot, Um, saw a lot of great music, saw a lot of great shows, um, made some incredible friends. Um, But it was definitely, there were two female agents, booking agents in London at the time and probably about 60, 70 male agents and all of the assistants were women. And so... There was definitely a a divide there and definitely a glass ceiling. Um, And it wasn't until really a few years after I decided to get out of that, probably in the late 1990s, that a few more agents were coming through as as young women. And it's definitely better now, but it's it's certainly not balanced. I think there are areas of the business probably quite unusual for somebody to have a job like mine as the head of music at the roundhouse if you looked at a range of jobs that are very similar to that I would say that's probably not we're not at an equality um, moment yet I think in we always talk about issues in technical production that's very much a male world I think the promoting um, side of things is very is very heavily weighted towards men as well so I think whilst on the one hand things have got better and I know I know women that have a sort of work in every role in the business uh, we're definitely not at an equality state yet um, and I think that still needs some work. Mm, fair enough. <laughs> 
because I get lots of different answers to that to like questions about whether we think there's gender equality and stuff like I said last week sometimes people are like I've not really noticed it or I feel quite comfortable yeah. in like in the space in terms of numbers and all that which is I guess up to the individual I suppose when all of the I suppose like a lot of women my age or my friends or or, or even a little bit younger um when the whole Me Too thing started happening, I suppose specifically around Harvey Weinstein and Hollywood, um, maybe a lot of us, I know I certainly did, had a sort of review of the years that I have been in, in the specific industry that I'm at in and tried to work out whether, you know, anything really bad ever happened. I think there were some... let's say interesting moments but I don't feel that I was ever physically abused um I think the challenges came from not being given opportunities because I was a woman um and this sort of sense that somehow the boys have better ears or better business acumen um and therefore your role is sitting behind a computer writing contracts. That, for me, was the challenge. Obviously, it's, it's an industry that comes with its its uh, its characters, uh, as all industries do, I think. Um, and so I think it's about self-awareness and knowing not to put yourself in positions of danger and to sort of just be aware of what, what's happening around you. I know... I, you know, I do know stories about women who found themselves in less safe positions. It, it's interesting, and I think it will be interesting to see what comes out in the next couple of years in terms of how different organisations deal with behaviours which 20 years ago might have been seen as being, oh, he's just one of the boys. It's, and actually now I think people are... I think, if any, you know, the, the good things come out of age that we live in now is that I think everybody feels a bit more comfortable in calling somebody out if their behaviour makes them feel uncomfortable and I think some of the I mean if you, if you put the sort of big Hollywood producer rape allegations to one side um, I think there's a territory where uh, it's very subtle the behaviours and they're more difficult to call out sometimes because it's it's more of a perception but it might be a perception over pe- behavior which is persistent over over a long period of time um, and that's obviously always more difficult to prove um, but the conversations I have with the team here are that if anybody's behavior internally or externally makes you feel uncomfortable then we should be discussing that and we should know about it and we will call people out if we think that their behavior is unacceptable. So do you feel optimistic about the future of gender equality in the music industry? I think I feel optimistic because, you know, having more women as, you know, having important roles as artist managers or even just as artists and them having a voice, you know, to have role models is really, really important, I think. When I was doing my first jobs in the industry there were very few female managers um very few and now that seems to be changing quite a lot so I think it it, whether we will reach a state of equality I I just don't know the answer to 
Um, but I think having more role models and for women to be taken more seriously in the industry is, is, is really important. Any final tips on working in the industry? I think, well, I think you can be in the right place at the right time. That's, uh, but I think the thing that sticks with you the longest is your reputation. So every day you go to work, you're you're making an impression on somebody, whoever you're on the phone to. So so, you know, your reputation will go before you. So if you work hard and you work, you know, you you're working consistently well and you're delivering on whatever your role is then hopefully that you know the next the time you go for a job the person who knows somebody at your old company might phone your old company and go what what would she like to work with on a daily basis and hopefully you know somebody will say well she was yeah she was great and we or well she could be a bit grumpy sometimes or you know it's you sort of just got to be aware that People are reviewing you all the time, and that that can be quite stress-inducing. But um, I think overall, yeah, and there's there's a, there's an element of luck involved in being in the right place at the right time. But I think the things you can be responsible for are arming yourself with as much knowledge as you can. If you want to work in music, knowing as much about music as you can, knowing what's going on in every different scene, um, and sort of understanding how the bits fit together. There's always the artist in the middle of it, but what? how are all the other roles kind of intertwined? So, yeah, it's, knowledge is, is helpful and a bit of luck. Mm. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Roxy Queens. And there you have it, some solid advice from Jane Bees, Head of Music at Camden Roundhouse. Thanks again for listening. This has been Roxine Queens, and we'll be back with a new episode very soon.